0: Welcome to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Marty Leeds. It looks like we got some good birds rolling in here this morning. There's 22 of you. That's that's a good start. Uh, Welcome, everybody. So glad you could join us. We do service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, and we are live today because we're in a hotel room in Peoria, Illinois, and it looks like they got pretty decent internet. And so we're going to give this a whirl. We're going to give it a shot, Okay. So, um, my wife and I actually went down to St. Louis for her birthday. So everybody say happy birthday to my wife. She's 40 now. She's old. She's an old bag. So, right? Right? Anyway. Um, and we'll actually show some of these pictures and stuff like that, uh, Tuesdays with Marty. But we ended up visiting the Basilica of, in St. Louis, and it's pretty freaking amazing. So we got some pictures. So I'll cover a bunch of that on Tuesday with Tuesdays with Marty. Um... We're going to talk about, we're doing chapter 14 today, which means we are halfway through the book of Matthew, which is insane. It's We've already done the entire book of Mark, Mark and now we're halfway through the book of Matthew. And so and then after that, I think what we're going to do is go right into Revelation and we'll go, you know, start to finish with Revelation, I think is what we're going to do. So yesterday was John, St. John the Baptist Day, Feast Day, the Nativity of St. John. I'm sure many of you know this, but it's basically the day they celebrate when John was allegedly born six months after Jesus. So Jesus was born around Christmas. And the next thing you know, you got what? What is it? Well, it's summer solstice. I think you can tell what they're doing here. And we'll we'll see that more that uh, moving forward today, as we have through the entire Bible, that the whole thing is astro-theological. It's all based on the heavens above. This actually comes from, um, it's, so it's uh, Nativity of John the Baptist, St. you know uh, Saint John the Baptist Day's feast day is sometimes what it's known. Uh, it's a Christian feast day. Feast Day celebrating the birth of John the Baptist. It is observed annually on June 24th, so just about three days after the solstice. So, interesting. It's like they use the same pattern or something. I don't know. There's something going on here. I think there's, a, anyway, this comes from Masonry and this, uh, some images from Masonry a um, uh, Freemasonic um, website. And as you can see, this is how they're illustrating St. John with a, a couple monads. I don't know. I don't know. I think we might be onto something here at the Gnostic Church Academy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, so we're going to jump in. We're going to do chapter 14, the beheading of St. John, and this is probably going to be a little long. There's a lot of stuff to cover, um, and so this will probably go two hours. So for those of you that have a short attention span, well, you're going to have to work on that. Anyway, let's do a prayer and then let's jump right into it, okay? And this is the prayer for St. John. Pretty good one, right? Pretty apt. Let us pray. O God, who hast made this day to be honorable in our eyes by the commemoration of Blessed John the Baptist, grant unto thy people the grace of spiritual joy, and direct the minds of all thy faithful into the way of everlasting salvation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so yes, episode 73, chapter 14, halfway through the book of Matthew. 28, 28 chapters there, the beheading of St. John. So, first off, let's just say this before we get going. The book of Matthew, the book of Matthew, Matthew, Fanatics Matters. We need a bumper sticker. Um, Matthew has 28 chapters in the book. There's 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. I wonder why. I wonder why 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, and 14 times 2 is 28. I wonder why there's 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. Well, I, I think we understand. So, let's do it. Matthew 14, 1. At the time, number one. At the time, Herod. Herod is a, a fun-loving guy, we'll find out. Not a good character. Not a good man. Herod the Tetrarch, uh, head of the, uh, heard, excuse me, heard of the fame of Jesus. Jesus was famous. He was like Brad Pitt, okay? Heard of him. It's like, this guy is apparently the shiznittle. And said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his wife, and who was uh, his brother Philip's wife. I'm going to read this and then we'll go back, okay? So he was sleeping with his brother's wife. Johnny Boy, St. Johnny Boy comes in and he's like, you can't do that, bro. That's the next line. For John said unto him, it is not lawful for thee to have her, you sicko. I added that last part. and when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So Herod was going to put St. John to death, but he was worried because he feared the multitude. He didn't fear God, by the way. He feared the mob, which is interesting, which goes to show how much of a coward he is. So let's start at the beginning and let's tear this baby apart. So first off, Herod is a tetrarch, right? What's a a tetrarch? A tetrarch (laughs) The governor of one of four, tetra means four. Many of you have played the game Tetris before, and tetra means four, of course, and that's because there's four little blocks there, right? The governor of one of four uh, divisions of a a country or province is what a tetrarch is. Uh, But it also means, in archaic sense, a subordinate ruler, right? Um, And it even says here the ruler over a fourth part of a province, but the word denotes a ruler of a province generally. So this guy, Herod, is a ruler, right? Now, Tetra, the, the, the reference to he's a subordinate ruler or a ruler, that sort of thing, right? The reference here of the tetra, right, is a, is a direct reference to the tetragrammaton. He's in—he's in—in this sense, an arch enemy of the Tetragrammaton. He's—he's he's not for God. He's against God. I mean, he's—he's going to be, but you know, a part of beheading Saint John here. So this is the Tetragrammaton, right? So this is the holy name of God. In fact, Jennifer and I were just in downtown St. Louis and went to one of the churches there. That's what we do when we go on little vacations. We go to churches. Um, We went to one of the churches there and as we get, as we walk in, there's boom, there's the holy name of God. There's the tetragrammaton right on the facade of the building as you're walking in. So Herod's name tells you specifically that he's against God. That's literally what his name means. Herod is the name hero or warrior. And so Her that's hero, H-E-R, hero or warrior and oids or whatever that is, oed its song. So it's basically a hero song, but his name is Herod of Antipas, Antipas. There was two Herods the Great. The first one murdered all the children under the age of two when, when, they, when he heard that Jesus was born. So that guy was a psychopath. Then there's a second Herod in the Bible, right? I've got these two mixed up before, but the second Herod is named Herod Antipas. Antipas, right? And that's the guy that put St. John to death. Actually, he hired somebody out to do it because he's a coward. We'll get into that. Antipas literally means instead of the father against the father against everything. So he was Herod, this ruler that was against everything, against the father, against the what? The Tetragrammaton. He was anti-pa. That's what pa means. Pa means father. So he's anti-pa. You call your dad a pa sometimes, right? I always call my dad pa, right? Because he's literally against the father. So they're telling you, with just in his name, what kind of a scumbag this guy is. The second line, they tell you that as well, the rest of the thing. but And he said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. So Herod sees John the Baptist. He's like, uh-oh, everybody knows this guy is, you know, called forth Jesus. He's famous. All the prophets know he's a prophet. And he's also risen from the dead. What does it mean to be risen from the dead? It means it's all the metaphors that we talked about before that whenever the Bible is mentioning anything about like, oh, he's risen from the dead. He was dead, now he's alive, right? He was blind, he has sighed, he was lame, he walked, he had leprosy, now he's cleansed, he was deaf, now he can hear, he was dead, he was raised up, just like St. Johnny boy. Every time you see anything like this in the Bible, that is symbolic language to let you know that this person has become Christed. They're enlightened. Whenever you go, um, little note, right, whenever you look at any sort of ancient um, paintings or any things like that, we just saw it when we went to the Basilica here, you will see characters in a painting and you'll see some of them have a halo behind their head and some don't, you know, depending on the painting and what the scene is and that sort of thing. That halo behind the head, which you'll see behind Mary, you'll see behind Christ, or you'll see behind God sometimes, that is this, that is signifying that they had gone through the process of apotheosis. They have undergone that spiritual quest. They underwent the great work because that's what this whole thing is all about. Um, John had undergone theosis, apotheosis, divinization, deification, exaltation. There's a bunch of different words that we can use to describe this, but basically what it is is refers to the process of becoming a god. Isn't it written? Is it not written in your law? I said you're gods. The kingdom of heaven resides within you. All of that sort of stuff. And then we're supposed to not recognize that we're living gods in the flesh? Jesus is telling you, his whole thing is to tell you about that process so that you can achieve that. That's where St. Johnny Boy is. That's what he was doing. So this is, and this is what theosis is really all about. Purification, illumination, and deification. Purification of the self, illumination of your true self, and deification into entering into the, the joy of the Lord, if you will. Unification with God. That's what all of this is all about. So, he's risen from the dead. He went through theosis. And therefore, mighty works, do show forth themselves in him. Mighty works. So what is it? What are they? What is the mighty work? This is all alchemical. As, as we know, as you talk about, you can't even understand why fire and brimstone or why salt of the earth or why any of that. You can't understand a lick of that stuff unless you've done a study in alchemy. So when they say mighty works, what are they talking about? The great work. The great work is the magnum opus. It's the alchemical term for the process of working with the prima materia. What's the prima materia? we'll go into that some other time we've already covered this stuff but to create the philosopher's stone the philosopher's stone is just another symbolic way of saying that you've reached apotheosis got that halo behind your head the great work signifies the spiritual path towards self-transcendence in its entirety it's the process of bringing unconscious complexes into the conscious awareness in order to integrate them back into one self amen all of these as we know all of these Things that we've covered before, every single tradition, when you get to the core of them, it doesn't matter if it's alchemy, if it doesn't matter if it's Freemasonry, it doesn't matter if it's the tarot deck, when you get to the core of them, this is what you'll find, theosis, apotheosis, okay? So basically all they're saying is Johnny Boy had undergone that and everybody recognized it. People saw the halo, okay, in this sense. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, and we'll find out Herodias is his wife, which is his brother Philip's wife, so he had he took his brother Philip's wife for his own wife. What did Saint John and Boy say? John said unto her, do, said unto him, uh, it's not lawful. You can't do that. That's that's gross. You just took your right." And this is him calling him out. So here's the tetrarch here, and it looks like just like a just a kind of guy you'd want to invite to a garden party, doesn't it? He looks so fun. It's like ooh, John. John's over there, and he's got a staff. He's got his wand. He's got his, he's got his scepter. What does that stand for? That's his. well That's the spinal column. That's your illumination. That's your uprightness. That's your vertical ascent. <laughs> and um, so there's Saint Gianni boy rebuking the Tetraarch, being like, "You are not the god of all gods, you fool. And you're sick. Why'd you marry your brother's wife? So, and then, so oh, I want to make sure I don't miss anything. Okay. So we're gonna look at this is astro-theological right now. As we'll see, we'll throw this whole thing out, you'll see this entire thing is astrotheological. Okay. So, first off, the, 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 the people that they're mentioning here, Herod, who's the ruler, his wife Herodias, and then we're going to see that there's a daughter involved in this. And they're also going to see, we're also going to see that what? They mention his brother Philip. All of these are constellations. The first one, the Herodias is Cassiopeia, which is the queen, because she's married to what? Herod, who's what? The king in this sense. He's the ruler. Right? he's the, the the smaller ruler. They're, you're going to see later on in this story that they have a daughter, and this daughter dances before everybody. Who's the daughter? It's Andromeda. They use, as we'll see, because pa- pattern come father, the father in heaven, pattern, and father have the same etymological root. Okay, so what you're going to see, and we show this time and time and time and time and time and time again to, po- to make the point that the Bible uses the exact same patterns to tell a different story. And they do it again and again. You Next chapter, same thing. Next chapter, same thing. At, to a point where it almost gets, they do it for redundancy so that you can eventually get the point, right? So this is, ki- this is the, the characters that you're dealing with, and we'll play this all out in just a second. So King Herod, Herodias the queen, and their daughter. This is, the, this is your damsel in distress story. This is where this comes from. There's a, there's a hero that's got to go save the king, or save the princess. Daughter, damsel in distress, that sort of thing, from a dragon. Who is this? Who are the king and queen? It's Cepheus and Cassiopeia. Their daughter is Andromeda, and Draco is, of course, the dragon. Okay, so this is what the, the, it says here. So there's Herod, who's Cepheus, the king, Herodias, which is his wife, that's Cassiopeia, and then they're gonna have a daughter, right? Well, he's also saying that in the, you'll see this here, it says um, Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his wife, his brother Philip's wife, who he married. He, so now they bring in the you know this brother Philip. Well, who's Philip? Philip means horse-lover, that's what the word means. So origin Greek meaning horse-lover, the name's meaning is horse-lover, right? So here you have Herod, Cepheus, Herodias, Cassiopeia, and then he married his his brother's wife, whatever, some ancestral shit. Philip is horse-lover. What's right above Cepheus and Cassiopeia? A horse, Pegasus. Who's part of Pegasus, as you'll see? Andromeda, the daughter, You'll also find out that, and we'll, we'll revisit that in just a second, John's like, hey, can't have her. When he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude. He was a coward because they counted him as a prophet. They knew St. John was a prophet, so they feared the multitude. Okay, what's the multitude? Well, let's talk about this. In, we, we actually covered this in Mark, that Herod was too much of a coward to go and actually kill John himself, so he sent somebody else to do it. He sent an executioner, right? Right. So, and this is this is what this is from Mark six twenty-seven. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him uh, in the prison. So, couldn't even do it himself. Total wuss. Total freaking coward. Herod was a coward. Okay. So let's keep moving on here. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias, Andromeda, danced before them. The daughter of Herodias. Well, Herodias used to be married to what? Philip, the horse lover. So when they had a daughter, what did they have? What's between them? What's part of Philip? The ho- horse, the Pegasus of horse, Andromeda. Again, same pattern. They'll just keep using the same pattern until it gets into your head. You know why this is beautiful? This is something that um, we'll talk about it maybe on two, with Tuesdays with Marty, or maybe I'll just do a whole live stream on it. But what? What the Bible is doing by, by placing all of these stories on top of old Greco-Roman motifs is what it's doing is giving you essentially a whole new set of myths, but keeping alive the old set of myths. The, if you notice the, the, this here, like I said, this is going to be a long one today. Strap in. This here, all of these constellations are all based on this Greco-Roman shit, right? It's, you know, Cepheus and Cassiopeia and all of these, right? So they didn't change these to like Christian names. It's not like St. John's up there and Philip's up there. No, what did they do? They have a whole new set of myths that they had grafted on so that they could, what? Keep alive the old stuff too. It's genius on a whole new level. When Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias... Andromeda, who's part of Philip, danced before them because that's what they enjoy. This guy enjoys sleeping with his brother's wife or whatever. And then when then he wants to be pleased on his birthday. So he gets their daughter to dance before them. Once again, this is um, this is your their daughter dancing before. <laughs> and look at them. They're all like. Rah! It's like they're, you know, it's like they're at a strip club or something it's you know it's so here's here's a bunch of different pictures of johnny boy calling out Herod and um yeah dancing before them as you can see pretty let's just say this pretty slutty let's just say it's pretty slutty okay so um and then he's like whatever you want So this pleased Herod, this daughter danced before him, and then uh, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatever she would ask. What do you want, daughter? And she says, this woman is so disgusting and absolutely satanic, this is her request. She being instructed of her mother, her mother was like, this is what you should do. Give me here John Baptist's hat in a charger. So she wants, what is a charger, by the way? Charger, let's be thorough about this, the history of the charger. The name comes from the 13th century Middle English uh, Scottish text chargure, meaning a large plate. It's basically chargers were big enough to serve large roasts or royal feasts. So this plate was something that the royalty would get served on. This crazy bitch dances in front of her whatever they are and then was like hmm, what do I want? I want the head of a saint on a platter made for royal people. Why does she want, at uh, 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 her mother's request, why do they want to cut off her head? His head, excuse me. Why do they want to cut off John the Baptist's head? Because what does the head represent? What do, we should know this by now. Class. If you're classy, stay classy. What does, what does the head represent? Illumination, enlightenment. So why would, they, why would these royal people that are scared of John, because everybody knows he's the saint, why would they want to cut off his head? Pretty symbolic pretty sim y give me the head of a saint on a platter there's a bunch of pictures of Johnny boy's head getting cut off once again what's that symbolism they they well he already know they already know he rose from the dead right they already know he was reborn the Bible, we've used this one before. I'm going to use it again because it's a good one. The Bible is trying to paint a picture for you right now of just how sick these people are. And yes, once again, that is Bob Ross painting, covered in blood, painting a picture of Slayer's reign in blood. Um, that is what you're looking at. Perfect picture to illustrate just how sick these people are. Okay? And the king was sorry because he knew God was watching and he's screwed. Uh, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, he uh, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And this is when he sent an executioner is like, go take care of it and get, and then he went and beheaded John in prison. Uh, and yes, so now, before we get moving on, let's finish this and, the, oh no, that's it. So now we have this really, um, once again, like I just said, what you're looking at is clearly, clearly at this point, that the Bible, the Biblical stories are recapitulations of the old Greco-Roman myths, which are what? As we've said before, universal stories. They don't belong to any culture, they don't belong to any race, they don't belong to any religion, they don't belong to any language, it doesn't matter. These are stories that are universal. That means they belong in the realm of God. So what, what is the Bible doing right now? They're grafting all of these stories, crafting and grafting all of these stories onto the old Greco-Roman stuff to keep it alive. It just shows the universality of, of 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 and how profound Christianity truly is. So now we have a story in Christianity about Johnny Boy getting his head cut off, and what if we if we correlate this to the Greco-Roman motif? Everybody, if you know your Greco you know your Greek mythology and that sort of stuff, your your head should light up. Well, that's that's a that's a relationship to what. What's another famous character in the Greco-Roman motif, the Greek mythologies, that had his head cut off? That became a, 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 a shining figure in the religion? Orpheus. Many of us will remember the tale of Orpheus and Eurydice from our childhood, embellished with images of the tragic musician who enchanted the whole of creation with his music. And what happened to Orpheus? He had his head cut off. Decapitated head. There's a bunch of pictures. We'll go over the myth real quick so we can make all the co- co- correlations and then we will go right back into the stars and show you where all of this is happening. So there's Orpheus and he's singing melodies and he, and his head sang from after death. He like swooned all of creation. All the trees and all the living things were basically played to the song of Orpheus. There's his decapitated head. It's usually laying with a lyre. A lyre is a harp. A stringed instrument, as you can see there, top right, uh, bottom la- bottom right there, a bunch of pictures of Orpheus and the lyre. There's another one. His head is decapitated. It sings from beyond the grave, if you will, which means what? He's an easy eternal figure. He's enlightened. He's got, he, he received immortal life. <laughs> the story of the beheading of John is one that we may find echoed in the tales of the Grecian mythology. It's the Orphic mysteries are based upon this. The sun god Apollo bequeathed to his son Orpheus, a magical lyre. And it was said that nothing could resist Orpheus's beautiful melodies, neither enemies nor beasts. After the death of his love Eurydice, Orpheus sung his grief with his lyre and managed to move everything, living or not, in the world. Both humans and gods learned about his sorrow and grief. There's an Orphic trinity, as we know, yet yet again. And then what is that? I don't know. It looks very very twelve houses of the Zodiac around a central figure and a staff and he's got wings and there's a serpent and there's like a broken egg and there's the four fixed signs of the Zodiac, which we'll get into in just a bit. Seems like it's the same shit. Why? It is. Because why? Where does it come from? The Greeks? No, 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 no. It comes from God Almighty. The dismembered limbs of Orpheus, so they also dismembered his limbs, That sounds very Osiris, doesn't it? These things are starting to ring a bell, aren't they? The dismembered limbs of Orpheus were gathered up and buried by his muses. His lyre had placed in the heavens as a constellation. We see here that his great voice of Orpheus still sang even after death. Cut his head off and he's like, and moved everything with his lyre. The daughters of Thrace decapitated him, but Orpheus continued to belt out his melodies from the beyond. Um, the fact that his severed head still sung after death is recognition of Orpheus's position as an eternal, uh, as eternal in his voice of one of a great divine power. Who is who is Orpheus in the in the Christian canon? It's Saint Johnny Boy. Orpheus's legendary lyre, meaning harp. It was said that the music he played upon it was so beautiful that it could move all the animals, trees, and the gods themselves. What is the music that that Johnny Boy is playing in, in the heavens up there? You guys know of the harmony of the spheres, right? It's usually... that This idea is usually uh, related to um, that Pythagoras dude. Um, he did some math, as far as I know. He, basically, what they're saying is what? Everything is a... This, this whole creation is a musical movement. It's all frequency and vibration, that sort of thing. Tesla might have been onto something, too, I think, but... So, harmony of the spheres, everything is moving and God is playing. He's like a big conductor, right? The, the, the Psalm of David is like, you know, the great musician, the cheap musician, that sort of shit. You know, when we look up at the heavens and we see these, you know, these, these, uh, whatever they are, celestial heavenly objects, whatever, moving in these patterns that we can actually extract geometry from them. What is, what is the takeaway from this? It's, it's poetry, it's music and, and, and movement. And that's what they're saying. This is what Orpheus was doing. After death, and he was still singing, and he's still playing his... He's moving the heavens. Everything is moving to the sound of Orpheus' voice. The constellation of Orpheus was put into the heavens. Um... His lyre, they had placed in the heavens as a constellation. This will all, we'll all button this up in just a few minutes here, okay? So Lyra is, um, was known on the star maps as an eagle carrying a lyre. Named Lyra. Vega, I think is the, I think the, name vega means eagle too don't quote me on that but lyra was uh, often represented as star mass as a vulture or an eagle m- more often than an eagle named uh falling vulture or falling eagle and you can even see here i've got a bunch of different representations of this you can see is an eagle carrying a lyre what is that lyre it's the harp it's the harp that, w- that represents orpheus okay notice orpheus i'm just going to say this notice orpheus and I, i'm not including this in this live stream but notice orpheus which would be the lyra Right? The eagle is right next to Cygnus. And what does Cygnus represent? If you guys have been paying attention, if you've been coming to church, you know that Cygnus represents the flame, the sword in the heavens, which points the way to eternal life. And that's exactly what it does. That's exactly what it does. So here's Lyra, the constellation. So that's Orpheus. So if we understand that Orpheus is St. John, then who's this? That's St. John. And I'll show you that in just a second. We can immediately see that a few strong connections can be made between the ever-loved St. John the Baptist and the Greek god Orpheus. The first obvious one being their beheadings, both at the hands of daughters. So Orpheus had his, had his head cut off by the daughters of Thrace. And how did St. Johnny boy have his head cut off? By the daughter of Herodias. Um, we can also see that both these characters have a strong connection to a divine song or eternal voice. Of course, in the beginning, what does St. John announce? It's the first line. In the Gospel. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. What do we say the Word is? The Word is the is literally the living presence of the Divine that orders and animates everything. And everything is flowing on behalf according to this Word. Okay, let's just reimagine that mythology in a whole new way. And we'll go to the Greek, the, you know, the Greek shit. And what is Orpheus doing? Same thing. He's singing from beyond and playing and he's moving all of the heavens with this. What is the Word? That. To a T. That's how we. That's how it's explained to us in mysticism. That's how we understand it. That's how we extract it from the the you know the text itself. So, both singing from beyond, both had their heads cut off. Orpheus continued to sing even after death. Even uh, just as Christ rose again after death, the word of God is eternal and thus still heard and ever present. We hear of this powerful voice in Revelation 14 when it says, "And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters." And as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, harpers harping with their harps. I don't think that they could harp on that idea anymore. I don't think that they could like harp, harp, harp. Obviously, what are you supposed to do? Wow, they're they're when once again, just as a poet, when they repeat something, what are they doing? They're adding emphasis to it. So that you read that and be like, okay, apparently I got to find some harp. The voice from heaven is heard with harpers harping with their harps. The harps being mentioned here is a reference to the very lyre that Orpheus used in conjunction with that powerful voice. And there it is. Revelation 14, 2. And I heard a voice from heaven as a voice from many waters and the voice of the great thunder. And I heard the voices of harpers harping with their harps. Okay. Now, read this and then we're going to wrap all this stuff up here. Okay. Now, now, the Bible doesn't give us any information, so all of a sudden, St. John is we will find out St. John's head is cut off, then they go to bury him, and I don't even think they mention it in this chapter. The Bible does not give us any information as to where the disciples buried St. John after his decapitation. By associating the lyre of Orpheus to St. John, we may have just uncovered where St. John's tomb is and final resting place, and I'll show you that in just a second. It's called the coffin at Delphinus, and it's right across from the lyre. The Lyra constellation was usually drawn on star maps to be an eagle with a Lyra. And, um, of course, what do we find in the Tetramorph? What is John in the Tetramorph? Well, I'll show you this. Scorpio, Aquarius, Leo, and Taurus is your Tetramorph. It's the four fixed signs of the Zodiac. Who is John? Well, he's the Scorpio. John is known in the Tetramorph as the Scorpio, but he's also known as what? the eagle. In the tetramorph, there's two constellations. It's given you as Scorpio, but then it's also shown as an eagle. Why? Why if any of you have studied mysticism, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Scorpio is one of the water signs and this um the other's being Cancer and Pisces is a fixed sign and it's associated with three different animals it here says usually two pretty much almost exclusively two that being what the eagle and the scorpio the scorpion why why is the scorpion related to the eagle well i'm showing you why because saint john boy saint johnny boy represents both of those constellations two different parts of the story um, four fixed signs of the zodiac. Ma- the man is Matthew. Lion is Mark. The ox is Luke. And the eagle is John. So why is an eagle a Scorpio? Here's the tetramorph. This is all pictures that Jennifer and I took when we were in um, uh, Germany and France and that sort of thing. These are all the tetramorph. All expressions of the four fixed signs of the... You know, this it's unbelievable. It's truly just... it's. Uh, I don't even know what to say about it. It's, it's dumbfounding the fact that modern Christians can't even make this basic correlation. That they refute it. No, the four Gospels are representative of the four fixed signs of the Zodiac, which tells you explicitly and directly that you are dealing with an astrotheological document. End of story. And not only that, all of this great architecture and artisanship and the, you know, the stonework, and they're telling you. We were just at the St. Basilica in St. Louis here. More tetramorphs. I think we've got three different pictures. I think we've got two here, but there was, I think there's three different expressions of this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why is John the Scorpio? Why is he an eagle? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Scorpio, Aquarius, Leo, and Taurus. There is John, Johannes, as the eagle. Why? So there's Scorpio, Aquarius, Leo, and Taurus. John is the Scorpio. He is known as the, he's brothers of, we've gone over all of this stuff. He's, you know, the brothers, the Sons of Thunders, the Boanerges, fiery preacher. And yet he's an eagle. Well, that's why. Now it says, and his head was brought in a charger, 1411, and given to the damsel. And she brought it to her mother. Her mother loved it too. So, and his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Okay, so now let's take a look at this. So, we find out that St. John was had his head cut off. It's representing the eagle and the lyre, and then he was buried. Well, where was he buried? Well, right by where his head was. The main asterism of Delphinus, which is the constellation right by Lyra, um, is it's known as Job's coffin. It's a reference to the old Testament. There's a, now a reference to the new. Delphinus is recognized for the diamond-shaped pattern formed by its brightest stars, known as Job's coffin, which outlines the body of the celestial dolphin. The Orphic mysteries were called the Oracle. Uh, part of it was called the Oracle at Delphi. This is the constellation Delphinus. It was called the Oracle at Delphi. the name given to a small but well-defined rhombus of stars in the constellation Delphinus, the four stars make up the coffin. So what's buried in a coffin? A body. So there's Lyra. There's St. John's head. There's the eagle of St. John. And he's singing from beyond the grave. And what's right across from him? The coffin where his body is buried. Johnny boy announced Christ, who was what? The word of God, which is the, 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 the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? What is Cygnus? It's the northern cross. It's the sword of the spirit. It's literally a flaming sword in the, in the stars, which points directly to the center of the pole star. So there you have Genesis merging right with the New Testament and all based on what? the stuff that came before this, the, the Greek stuff, all kept perfectly alive, preserved perfectly. Then they even go further than that and they even tell you, why is the daughter called a damsel? And his head was brought in a charger and, brought, and given to the damsel and she brought it to her mother, Cassiopeia, Andromeda. And the disciples buried it and they took it and went and told, this is... Your damsel in distress story. The damsel in distress is a recurring narrative device or trope in which one or more men must rescue a woman who has either been kidnapped or, or placed in, in great peril. It's called your damsel in distress motif. The story involves an upper class woman, who is Andromeda, who would be the the mother or the daughter of Herodias and Herod. Well, they're like kingly rulers, right? King and queen, if you will. And the princess is a similar high ranking nobility, saved from a dragon. Saved from a dragon where damsel in distress is a woman of noble birth. That's exactly what this mother is, or the daughter is, excuse me. And this is why, and then you'll see this all over the Bible. And once you see it, you won't, you'll, you, you won't be able to unsee it. So, because they're giving you these words so you can make these specific correlations. And his soul cleave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the damsel. And spake kindly unto the damsel. Hmm. I bet you. I wonder if you can place these fatherly patterns over, over the Old Testy too. You can. You can. Spoiler alert. The the the. Then shall the father of the damsel, and then the damsel's virginity, and then it was brought to a charge and give the damsel. Every time they mention damsel, they're specifically using that word so you can make this correlation. This is Andromeda, chained to the mountain. There's a bunch of different, of course, you know, narratives around this, but. Um, there she is again, chained to the mountain, and she, oh, there's the Draco, the dragon, the dragon that's keeping her tied. So there you go. And then you can even see up there, there's some, I don't know, lion and a Taurus. I don't know if that has anything to do with anything. But anyway, all of this stuff is upstairs in the heavens. That's where it should be. 13, 14, 13. And when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place. I'm not going to go into this too much. We've talked about the ship enough. We just did last live stream. What? I'll, I'll show it again as we move forward. But the ship is what? What is the ship? It's Argo Navis. It's our, all of these stories. So, okay, let me just keep going. All right, sorry. And then he went into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot of the cities. <sighs> The desert place, what, what's, where do you find, as we've covered this four or five times already, what's in a desert place? What do you find in deserts? Camels and leopards and giraffes and lynx and lions, and that's exactly what you find. When you go see it at the top there, where are we? We were just talking about the fact we were dealing with Herod and Herodias and their daughter, and then Cygnus and Lyra and Delphinus. What's at the very top of that image right there? Cepheus and Cassiopeia and Cygnus, and you can see Lyra's right under the the desert place there. And so, where do they go? They go to the desert place. What's in a desert place? Where there's lions and lynx, and there's, what, six, five, six hundred species of bees that live in deserts. And there's, of course, Camelopardalis, which is what? It's a giraffe, but it's also known as a camel and a leopard. This is all your desert place. We just covered this a few live streams ago, too. And they said they walked, they, you know, the devil went in and then walked out and walked through a dry place. Remember that? It's once again, same patterns, just using it again in a different chapter. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities and Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. What did he do? So was it really just a, like everybody that was there, they all had COVID-19 and he comes in with some boosters. And he's like, you guys are good or that's metaphoric for what happened to all those people. Apotheosis. Next thing you know, after, after they experienced the Christ, and the mighty works. They, next thing you know, bloop! Oh, they got a freaking halo on their head. And when it was evening, his disciples, 14, 15. And when it, when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place. They said it again. Think about this. Um, I, I'm just going to mention this here, but this is very Trinitarian. This is, once again, these, these beautiful nuances and subtleties of language here. When it was evening, they're giving you a time period. His disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place, and, and the time is now past. The time, just that, just that language right there is telling you Trinitarian. The time, which is what the future that's coming here, is now past. See that? You see what's going on there? That is telling you directly where Christ is, which is in the present. Know your Trinity. Um, send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals um, you know what, that's, that's, let's move on that's good, that's enough um, you know what we're going to do? we're going we're gonna to uh, pass the basket around for anybody that would like to support the fine work that we do here at the Gnostic Church and Academy of the Lord Jesus Christ we can't keep going without you since we have a good internet connection we're going to play the Willy Burger we're going to play <laughs> my Blind Willy commercial because it makes people laugh so here we go Hi, I'm Marty Leeds. Will you be an angel for a helpless animal? Did you know that right now, you can help rescue a scared, shaking, blind, and disabled dog? Every day, dogs like Blind Willie McShakes go neglected. For less than 50 cents a day, you can help rescue Blind Willie from the bitter cold of the North. If you don't want to be a heartless monster, get out your checkbooks now and secure your salvation. Consider setting up a small monthly donation right now at GnosticAcademy.org. And do not let another blind dog starve and shiver on the cold. Do the right thing. Give us your money. Gnosticacademy.org Don't worry, Willie's actually okay. He gets he gets good meat from his mama and everything. So anyway, if you would like to support the work that we do, uh, like I said, we only keep going. We we're only going to keep going as as long as people allow us to keep doing this. It's as simple as that. And when they don't, then we just become a silent order and don't say shit to anybody. So anyway, if you'd like to support the fine work that we do, we have books for sale at the church store. We have. uh, all sorts of things for your purchase. Um, you can uh, Bible rosary packages and archives and all that sort of stuff. So um, Venmo, buy me a coffee, Cash App, Subscribe Star if you'd like to support. And I do have a few um, pieces of mail I'm going to open on Tuesdays with Marty, which we'll do on Tuesday. I think I have got two or three pieces of mail. If you'd like to send a letter or any donations or anything like that, Kevin McNally into 550 Southview Court, Monroe, Wisconsin, 53566. We really appreciate uh, everybody that supports. Thank you so much. We really, we really love all you. And it's good to see the people that that come back here. We got, how many, how many we got watching right now? 105. Hey, it's the 14th triangular number, but um, I'm not going to say anything. 14, 16. But Jesus said unto them, they uh, need not depart, give ye them to eat. Now we've, we've covered this one before too. We'll do this again. And they say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. So anybody, anybody out there that thinks that they can be vegan or vegetarian because the Bible tells them to, well, Jesus fed the multitude with two fish. So I don't know where that argument comes from, but I've gotten it many, many times over the years. And I just thought that was pretty funny. So anyway, so uh, he said, bring them hither to me, Fourteen eighteen, And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, <laughs> See the subtlety there? What do you think that they're trying to tell you right now? Look up. If they're not even being like elusive or mystical about it or anything like that. They're just like, look up, dude. He blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. Okay, so what, what do you think they're looking at? They're looking at constellations, ob- obviously. They're saying, look up into the heavens. Um, so let's do this. Five loaves and two fishes. I think pretty much everybody can point out what the two fishes are. What are the two fishes? It's Pisces. We'll get to that. That's two fish. What is the house of bread? What is the bread that they're referencing? The the bread is the is the constellation the Virgo, Virgin Mary is the constellation Virgo. Um, uh, it's also known as Virgo the Virgin. Virgo in Latin means Virgin. The ancient glyph for the Virgo is an alternate M, and I'll show you that in just a second. It actually has the Jesus fish in the symbol. So, for people that are, you know, that once again don't want to make these correlations, it's like, Jesus Lord. All right. Virgo is also referred to as the house of bread, and the representation of Virgo is a virgin holding a sheaf of wheat. In fact, I think Spica, which is the brightest star in Virgo, that's on, it's literally on the ecliptic or right by the ecliptic, I think that means sheaf wheat, I'm pretty sure. The house of bread and its symbol of wheat represents August and September, the time of harvest. Bethlehem, in fact, literally translates to house of bread. And so, once again, Bethlehem is a reference to what? Virgin Mary, Virgo Mary. Duh, right? Um, this is your Virgo Mary. There's the there's the symbol right there. You see that M? Does that, how many people have ever noticed that that M right there, that's the Jesus fish tied to the M? What have we said that that fish represents of a geometric womb or vagina i've literally been saying that for years that's that's what that means so there's your five loaves is virgo it's the house of bread even five letters in the you know coincidence i don't know five loaves and then two fishes of course So what are the two fish? Well, that's Pisces. And those are the constellations, those are the houses that would be, you know, right across from one another. So, I mean, I I don't know, especially all those people, and we'll get into this in just a second, all those people that are out there that are allegedly teaching hermeneutics, like, you know, and we'll we'll cover this, there's like many different layers of the Bible, and then one of them you would assume that at least partially has to do with astrology, I just asked the literalists and the fundamentalists, all you ortho bros and the Catholics and all of you, what what the hell does this mean? What does it mean? It's just random two fish and five loaves and that's it. What what other church can you go to that does a line by line deconstruction like this that can tell you anything about what that shit means? Find me one. Meanwhile, the scripture itself is just saying, oh, look up to heaven. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh, shit. Oh, damn. There's, there's two fish right up there. So, you know, th- this, this, when you get to stuff like this, it's so blatant. It's almost silly. It's, it's, it's embarrassing that you have Christians that can't even make basic connections like this. It's embarrassing. He blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. Okay. And, oh, did I miss anything here? Oh, this is, by the way, I just, no, you know what? Let's, let's skip that. Let's skip that. And they all did eat and were filled, 1420. And they took up the fragments that remained, 12 baskets full. What are the 12 baskets? What are the 12 baskets? It's the, the twelve houses of the zodiac, <laughs> just like in the show, bread, There's twelve loaves in, of show, right? When the old testy shit, right? When Jesus, when when he was saying, hey, remember when David went into the synagogue and ate on the day he wasn't supposed to because it was that sacrament, you know, this you know, ink, whatever sacred bread, bread, and then he ate it, and then he was you're pissed off at me and that whole thing, and there was twelve pieces of show and even divided six into six. Why? And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the fragments that remained 12. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Where does, where does 5,000 come from? About 5,000, just so you know, once again it says, and they that had eaten were about, not exactly, just about 5,000 men beside uh, women and children. And where does 5,000 come from? You just multiply one through seven, because there was five pieces of meat, if you will. There was five, right? There was five loaves and two fishes, which five plus two is seven. And how do you find that? We actually just already did all of this, by the way. All of this math. They're just giving you the math again. They're they're putting this into your head again and be like, hey, this is what we mean. We already covered all of this. <sighs> multiply one fish times two fish times the third piece of bread, fourth to seven. Multiplying one through seven, the two fish, the five loaves of bread is 5,040. One times, two times, three times, four times, five times, six times, seven is 5,040. And they were about 5,000. So that's that's a parable. And it's it's literally there to tell you about what's in front of you, literally the mathematics that are right in front of you, and the star patterns of, of the of the um, the music of the spheres above. Everybody see that? One times, two times, three times, four times, five times, six times, seven is 5,040. You add one through seven and you get the number of chapters in the book of Matthew. And straightway, Jesus is always going the straight way, isn't he? Why? Right? Because straight, straight is the gate and there was way. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. What's the ship? Once again, I've already mentioned this, but we've mentioned this many times, so I'm just going to go over this real quick. Argo Navis. It's what Noah's ark is based on. It's what the you know you'll find in a lot of other like, you know, um, Jason and the Argonauts. You know, uh, what's what's the ship? The big ship in. Ah, uh, the Egyptian cannon, what the heck is that thing called? Anyway, that's escaping my brain. Anytime you see a ship that's in these, these, you know, this group of uh, myth, whatever, more than likely, chances are they're, they're talking about this. So there's Argo Navis, we've talked about this before. The sail, the sail, the, keel, the aft, the stern, which is the three co- constellations, vela, karina, and that's right, the poopis. We love saying the poopis. And there it is, the poop deck, the stern, the Carina, the veil, the sails and that veil of the sails, that's all there. Okay, so, and and to go, before, all, once again, what, what, the reason I'm pointing all this out is every single word here is highly symbolic. You can't just, the, but this is the scripture. You can't just like read scripture just like, ooh, they're just, you know, like it's a Daniel Steele novel or some shit. You don't do that. You have to stop and be like, wait a second. What are they, why is it a mountain? Why a ship? What is, what is a desert place? All of these things. Hyper-specific language to, to get you to make these correlations. Okay? 14, 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. Where's the mountain? Once again, all of these things are all referencing what? Places in the stars. What is the mountain? What is the Mount Olympus or Mount Meru or Zion or, you know, there's always these epic mountains, especially in cosmologies, you'll find them in the center of the creation. And what does that represent? It represents the mountain, the height of the stars above, reaching up to that peak, that summit that is the pole star. What lives on mountains? Bears and snakes and, of course, the king and the queen, Cepheus and Cassiopeia, they live up on the mountain. And so this is where Jesus went up to pray. He went up to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. The ship was in... Oh, I've got a better picture of it. The ship was in the midst of the sea. The midst. Do you know what midst means? It means the middle. That's what it means. Midst. That is the center of the southern celestial pole it would be this ship Argonavis right there would be in the midst and it comes right from the mountain which would be the other side so do you see what's so here's the other thing i don't have a graphic for this but do you see what's happening right now when you talk about Christ in the in a, in a kundalini sense, right, when you talk about the, the oil, the chrism, the balm that, that runs down your, you know, it, I mean, this is anatomically what happens, whether we make any mystical connections or not, right? When you, you look at your cerebrospinal fluid and it goes from and it bathes your brain, right, and it goes down your spinal column, what is that energy said to do? It goes up there, you know, from up here down the spinal column and then back up. That's what, right? There's no question about that. What is happening in this story right now? What is Christ doing? He was up on top of the mountain, which is the top, and then he goes all the way down to through the pole of the earth that represents what? Your spinal column. You. Because that's what this whole thing is. You are a reflection of the greater order of things. So Christ is going from the top and then he's going all the way down to that ship. And then what is he going to do? Is he going to come back up? That's why he's doing this whole freaking story here. So, uh, I, I just don't know what to say other than fucking genius. <sighs> For the wind was contrary. Um, <laughs> what? Why was it contrary in this sense? Well, you're going from the north to the south, which would be what? Your opposite, your inversion in that sort of sense, right? There's a bunch more we could talk about there with Galilee and the veil of the ship and what vela means and what lee means. It's the way we're Anyway, there's a bunch there we could talk about. But to keep this thing moving, we will skip ahead. Fourteen twenty-five, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. So now we have Jesus walking on water. Obviously, we know that this is constellational. Right? And as we just said, this reflects that. This is the great one of the great mysteries. And you're not gonna understand any of the mysteries unless you unless you recognize that. What is that's the anthropocosm, that's your zodiac man, okay? So now we got Jesus walking on water, on the sea. In the zodiac man, what what is G- What would be the f- Jesus' fish? right? Or what would he be his feet? Excuse me. <laughs> it would be his, fi- his Pisces, his two Pisces, his two fish. That represents the feet. We, we literally, not, what, four lines ago or whatever it was, we're dealing with specifically this constellation. Then the text again gives you another way to point to this constellation. It says what? Jesus is walking on water now. Now, many people have said before that this is the sun as it's walking, as you see it's setting, and the reflection is on the ocean or whatever. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good connection, but the connection goes way deeper than that. They're pointing specifically to not only a constellation, but to a place in the sky. So this is Jesus' feet. It's his Pisces. Jesus is walking on water. What is, what is the water? The waters above those two fish are floating in the sea of water above the metaphysical waters and god said let there be a firmament in the midst middle of the waters and let us divide the water from the waters and god made a firmament and divide the waters which were above the firmament the waters which were below the firmament under above whatever and it was so and so what do we have according to our cosmology we have waters above and waters below so w- when he's up there right obviously this is all metaphoric this is all symbolic When he's up there with his two Pisces of fish, what's he doing? He's walking on water. That's what that sign is doing. I missed one. I missed a few here, did I not? I'm sorry, give me a second. Yes, he was walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. They couldn't handle seeing Christ. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Then, who pipes up? If you were just to knowing what, uh, knowing where we're talking about in the zodiac and everything like that, right? If you didn't know the next story, if you didn't know what the next line was, and you say, "Huh, I wonder what constellation they're going to reference next." Could it be the constellation that's literally right beside Pisces, Aries? Well, that's what they do mention. Who shows up? Peter who's Peter? Simon Peter. We've talked about this before. Oh, I forgot something. Oh, no, 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 no. That's right. No, no, that's right. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get into that. Simon, he's surnamed Peter. Is the first person that he's named when he ordains the 12. It's the first one that he names, which is a reference to what? The first house of the Zodiac, which is what? Aries. Sai and Simon. Sai. once again, we're dealing with fanatics here. Simon. Psi, the Greek letter, was a, resembles a trident. It's a symbol for the psyche, meaning the mind or the soul. Where's that? That's the mind. Here's the, soul, you know, right there. There's your mind. Mono, meaning alone. Simon, right? And then you derive from the Greek Petros, meaning stone. This is the translation used um, in most versions of the New Testament. The name is cephas, meaning stone. So Peter is the stone. He is he who heard. That's what that's what Simon Peter also means. He who heard. So you have heard, head, Simon. It's all referencing, and we've covered this before, referencing the head here. Okay, he's the first one first one mentioned, and that's Simon, the psychology of the man, the Peter, the Petra, which is the stone. You know, the, of course, Jesus is known as the cornerstone. What is Jesus represented as? When that, once again, we talk about that light of Christ, the son of man, that, that travels through here. Where does the illumination happen? Where does, where does, the, where does the, um, the halo Around the head, right? Where was Jesus, where did he die and re, was reborn? Golgotha, which was the skull. So who shows up in Peter, which is right next to Pisces? And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it, be, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. So now Jesus is on his Pisces and he's walking on water. And who shows up? The constellation that's right next to him, Ares. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Walking on water. Now, you know, once again, when, I, when I'm saying that the, the, the Christian canon is, um, it, 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 it ties in all of these ancient myths, right? What, what, when you, what's another way to say this, that Jesus is walking on water? That he's flying or walking on water in the heavens. He's got the sandals of Hermes. Hermes, Mercurius, try, Tris, Megistus. what he's he's walking, and then Peter ended up walking with them. why, well, what do you think happened to Peter? He was christed, he was enlightened, so here's all this figure of Hermes, uh, Mercury sometimes is known as that sort of thing. And he's always got those flying shoes on. Why? Because he's flying in the heavens. He's, wa- he's walking on the waters above. So, and once again, this is the, and I, at this point I just find it hilarious, kind of tragic and hilarious at the same time. The ortho, orthodox position in, you know, your classic biblical uh, deconstruction is called hermeneutics. Right? It's the fourfold patristic approach. It's the shared the same thing in Kabbalism. That's where I learned it, Kabbalah. And then I found out the Orthodox do the same thing. I'm like, oh, okay. So, anyway, so what it is is a four leveled approach, right? It's literal, moral, allegorical, and anagogical. We've talked about this numerous times. Well, it's called hermeneutics, and it's based off the folk etymology of Hermes, Mercurius, Trismegistus. So, let's step back here and let's find out, let's figure out exactly what we're doing. In order to do proper biblical exegesis and study, not only do you have to tie it to astrology and the ancient Greek myths, but the way in which you deconstruct the whole thing is based on Hermes, Mercurius, Trismegistus, is based on Hermetics. Why do you think Think about this. Why do you think so many modern, you know, uh, it's like that It's like that quote from uh, Henry Ford about how liberalism has totally inundated and got a hold of the church and doctrine and has totally screwed it all up, right? Why do you think so many of these churches nowadays, and you can go anywhere, you can go Catholic, Baptist, ortho, you can go Seventh-day Adventist, just, you know, take your pick. Why do you think they're so hell-bent on denying all of this stuff? Just think about it. The churches have been so thoroughly perverted and inverted with how they understand Scripture that they've gotten to the point that basic connections such as two fish and five loaves, that they have to be like, uh. And yet it's the foundation of what they're reading. It's the foundation of their religion. Why do you think that's happened? I'll tell you why it's happened. I'll tell you why I think it's happened because Christianity is actually unbelievable and beautiful and connecting and genius. It's actually an unbelievable source, the greatest source I would say, my opinion, of light that you could possibly you know, attain here as far as like an ancient mythos is concerned because it's actually capturing all of the rest of these. It's not shunning hermeticism. It's not shunning alchemy. It's not shunning the Greek myths. It's not shunning Egyptology. If you understand it correctly, it's actually elevating them and celebrating these things. Not, not to the modern churches, of course, because they're full of shit. We'll do it here, though. So why was Jesus walking on water? <laughs> it's, a, it's a symbolic connection to Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, fourteen thirty, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, "Lord, save me!" And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, and said unto him, "O oh, of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt?" Of course, he was never gonna actually sink. Why? Because he, he had Christ with him the entire time. Now it's basically saying, "Hey, just like we've said before, when you actually have, you know, uh, this, this." power in your life, Christ in your life, it makes you like, I'm a dumbass sometimes, right? But I can be extremely confident because I know, number one, I'm not full of shit. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. But I also know that I have this behind me. And that gives you unbelievable power and not power over other human beings. Power to do good. 1432, and when they were coming to the ship the wind ceased. I will go back to this and I'll explain this really quick. I don't have all the etymology, but I'll just explain it. Um, they, basically what he's saying is he's gone, so when you when you have the, the, the center there, right? What's happening to the stars? They're going around in circles, right? And so this is the wind that is catching them. It was boisterous, as it's saying, right? And Jesus is like, come onto my ship, and come onto, and you know, which is the Argonavis, and he's saying, come onto the other side, in, in essence, right? And he says this in other parts of the Bible and stuff like that, I'm, you know, just reiterating. but. Vela is, um, uh, is is basically the the, sh- the sail of the ship, and to get to the other side, this would be your lee. It would be the, the, the side of the ship that is away from the wind. And this is why Jesus was born in Gal-a-lee. Gal is of gale-forced wind. It's a It's a boisterous, harsh wind. So the word Galilee, right, is the uh, the Sea of Galilee? Lee is of course the way, the side of the ship that's protected from the wind, and gale is the gale force wind. So once again, subtly, what he's basically saying is, come into my ship, and I will protect you from the fierce winds. That's exactly what, you know, what ends up happening. There's other parts of the story too, and other gospels and that sort of thing. I'm just kind of you know going over that general idea. So, um, and that's 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 what happens. So he gets on, or um, Jesus is like, hey, help me from this. You know, the wind ceased, the wind stopped. Why did the wind stop too? So if, if Jesus is trying to, what what is Jesus always trying to do? Draw into that center. Just think about this. What is Jesus trying to do? Draw into the center of your heart so that you can lift up and go to the top, right? So what is he doing, at, you know, um, cosmologically or constellationally? He's drawing Peter into what? The center. And what happens in the center? Just like a, a storm. The eye of the storm is what? The calm place the center of the wheel. Everything else is whipping around. Jesus is going to draw you into the center be still and know that I am the Lord. And that's when the wind stops. Then, once again, where is that ship? Literally right by the center. Then they were in that ship, came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. What did we say the Son of God was? The light within you. Where does Paul con- continually say Christ is? Within you. Then we go and like literally just look at the words. Like, yes, that's what it means. That is the light within you. So what did Peter, what was Peter shown? What did Jesus show Peter there? I think you got it. I think you get it. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. I'm just going to go, once again, I just want to show this real quick because um, you'll, you'll get it when I, when I see The Sea of Galilee... Which was just what we just mentioned is located in the Great Depression of the Jordan. Okay, the Plain of Gennesaret extends in a circular arc from the north to the northwest. So basically, what they're giving you this landmass and they're actually telling you where it is, right? Well, Jordan, the River Jordan is Jordan means to go to go down to flow or to descend to go down, and that's what exactly the River of Aradness does. F- flows from Orion goes all the way down to the very bottom which is exactly what we were talking about exactly where the story says they are jordan is the crossing of it is symbolic of death and high flown language okay jordan is a unique name of both greek and hebrew origins and the name means to flow down or descend and that's exactly what the uradnis river does it flows down and descends and this is exactly where they say they are in the story so This is, once again, there's the Eradness, and Eradness goes, flows down to, uh, uh, I thought I had the graphic here, you can't see it, but basically Eradness, do I have it here? Hold on, maybe I do. Sorry, give me a second. Ah, you can't see it. I'm sorry, I should have had a better graphic. There's, you can see right there, you see where it says SMC at the very bottom there? That is Hydra. Eradness is right there. So basically they're saying they're going to this place that's right by the River Jordan and they just came out of a ship and they went to the center which protected them from the boisterous and gale-force winds. And then the next part of the story is they're literally right there. I wish I had the better graphic, but the River Radness, which would be the River Jordan, is right there. 1435. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country roundabout. See the language that's being used here? What, what's the roundabout? What's the country roundabout? Huh, I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's that. Look at this. It's a book that's supposed to be about heaven and what's it about? Heaven. Who'd to thunk? Who'd to thunk? <laughs> Went roundabout once they had the knowledge. What's the knowledge? Well, if you have been showing up at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, you know what that knowledge is. It comes directly from God. It's knowledge of spiritual mysteries, it's Gnosis. They're directly referring to Gnosis here. Just straight out saying it. Once they had the Gnosis, <laughs> and when that man of that place had the knowledge of the spiritual mysteries, of who? Christ, which is what? The son of man, which is what? Within you. When they heard this, they did exactly what they're supposed to do, just like we said. Once you have that knowledge, what do you do, right? Well, you you do the PPE, you preserve and protect, and you uh, you you do it to entice, so you keep it. But what do you also what What do you do? You go up on the rooftops and yell it. You don't be scared. When the men of that place had the gnosis of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased what what were they diseased with they didn't have the knowledge of what god within 1436 and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched were made perfectly whole once again once what is that what is the what is the the symbolic poetry behind touching the hem of the gar- garment, right? And then it, it ends with, they were made perfectly whole. Because once you even get just an inkling, just a little smidge of God, you're absorbed into its higher being. You, In other words, you can't stand outside of God and be like, oh, look what you look like, God. Oh, that sort of thing. As soon as you even get close to that thing, you're absorbed into its higher, higher being. And that's what, that's basically what, but this is what's going on in the story anyway. This is the whole thing is about a theosis and apotheosis. And that's how it ends. 1436, if it's not him, that might only touch the hem of his garment. as many as touched were made perfectly whole. And that's how, that's how it ends. The, by the way, I wanted to do a bunch of gematria in this whole thing, but I, I opted out just because I, I thought there was enough to cover. But, okay. So, he, he was made perfectly whole. Now we'll do some Matria. So what is whole? This is how the chapter ends. What did we just find out the last chapter? What did we do? The last chapter. We did the parable of the sower. Did we not? And the parable of the sower ended with math. And that's why we said that it's like, hey, he's given you a parable. It's constellational. If you haven't done your se- the seven classic liberal arts, then you're not going to understand the constellations in the cosm- cosmological aspect of that parable. You're not even going to understand what parabolic means in that.
1: Right?
0: But then he gives you math, and so how are you going to understand that math unless you've underst- unless you've once again did your study in, in music and or you know um, geometry and number? So now he ends and says, made perfectly whole. In English, a whole equals 19. What was the parable of the sower? What was the math that he gave you? And others fell into the good ground and did yield the fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, and some 100. And that's where you were supposed to place the seed. You're supposed to put it in where? The good ground. The good ground. Then he gives you math, specific math. 190. What's that? you. Zero. 1, 2, three, 5, 6, 7, 8, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. If you add zero through 19, once again, that's your vigesimal system. That's a base 20 system. That's your 10 up here and 10 downstairs. As above and so below, if you will. Waters above and waters below, if you will. 10 up here and 10 down there making a base 20 system. A base 20 system, when you triangulate it, it's some thirty and some sixty and some a hundred. It's a hundred and ninety. And that's where you place the seed in the good ground to make you spiritually whole. And how does this thing end? It was on him that they might only touch the hem of the garment, as many as it touched, made perfectly whole. Whole is nineteen. Zero through nineteen equals one hundred and ninety. You know what's so fun about one hundred and ninety? is that here's the properties, the divisors of 190, the decimal system, U the good ground. 1, 2, 5, 10, 19, 38, 95, 190. Those are the divisors of 190. And do you know what the divisors add to? You can see it right there. 360. What's 360? It's whole. It's literally the math that you would use to say something is whole geometrically. All right, I think that is going to do it today. And I just wanna thank you all for being such good birds. I really appreciate everybody that stops by. If you would like to become a good bird, you can become a good bird at Subscribestar. Oh my Lord. You, know. you can become a good bird at Subscribestar. You can become a phoenix bird, an Aquila bird, a cygnus bird, or you can become Tom of the pea, my bird. And if you'd like to send any donations, once again, Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app.
1: And
0: uh, we also do snail mail. Kevin McNally at 2550 Southview Court, Monroe, Wisconsin. Um, I do have some thank yous here. We, forgo- we didn't get a chance to say, oh, is this, oh, there's more in the back here?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. Um, we didn't get to say thank you the last couple of times because um, I did on Tuesdays with Marty, but um, because we were had isu- you know internet issues and all that other stuff. So donations, I, I want to get this out of the way and say thank you to all the people that support. Thank you so much. Uh, Chris Neifer, Brian Vert's Photography, Tara, Mera, and Family, Daniel Papazzoni. Daniel Hagar, Construction Productions, Gavin, Karen B. Jared Poole, Jeremy Hines, thank you so much, Jeremy Hines, thank you so much, Jared Poole. Alicia Crawford, always killing it. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Angela Angela Morns? No. I think I'm saying that wrong. But and then Dan McKinney. Teague Mackin, thank you so much. Ray B for the beer. And the love, John Vina, Truth Seeker, Shannon Seal, GM Grassi, Matthew Schlegel, Justin Billington, Spicy Sarah, Greg Arcade, Mr. Arcade, Christina, Alan Woodward, Carmen Taylor, Robert Bruce, Corby Olson, Virginia Murray, Eric Cole Cell. Thank you so much. Um and to 314. I don't know how to say that, but thank you for the $10. Super Chats, Andrew Mason at $10. This is the best church on this side of heaven. Thank you so much. Uh, B Mustard, 7240, thank you so much. Blessed harping on the lyre of my brother. Thank you so much. Small Axe, so fortunate to have this church. Truth is beautiful. Thank you so much. Ange, Ange, my brother, thank you. John Vina, truth seeker. And Jared Poole, thank you so much. God bless you. Um, to, let's see, Monday, 7-3, at 6 p.m., Jennifer is going to be doing the basics of part two of her emotional intelligence, which has gotten a really good... People seem to like that, which is uh, great. I, I hope you guys do enjoy that. Uh, so she's going to be doing part two of The Basics on Monday, 7-3 uh, at 6 o'clock. And yes, and then we'll be doing Tuesdays with Marty as well. Um, I do have a, just a few more things I want to say. Uh, thank you to Content Safe. Thank you guys so much for getting us on. What are you getting us on today? R- Odyssey and Rumble and Bitchute? Who knows? Uh, thank you so much. We appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, Flat Earth, Sun Moon and Zodiac app. Get it. Don't be silly. Get that app and find your friends. We were thinking about doing T-shirts, and we got the idea. Somebody, somebody was like, I put best church ever there, and I got, I got a comment or two. as we like, oh, pride right before the fall. Oh, you know, like we're like, it's a joke, man. I mean, my lord. So I think it was Jim grassy or I, I forget who it was that's, that kept saying best church ever. So we just decided to go for it. So um, so we were thinking about getting t-shirts done. If you guys are interested, we need to we need to sell, you know, we need to have like, I don't know, 30, 40 of you interested just to even make it worth it kind of thing. So we're not sure if there's that many people that would be interested in shirts. Um, they are pretty quality shirts. Uh, I think it's like... I forget what they are. You can, uh, we'll get the info out there for you. But um, that's what we're looking at doing. So if you are interested, just email us and email a size. And if we get, like I said, twenty, thirty people that are that are interested in shirts, then we'll go ahead and order them. And then, um, yeah. So we're just not. We're just trying to gauge the interest right now. So um, a few more things. The gathering uh, that is in August on August eighteenth through the twenty-first in Kuniyama Valley. You can go to. Um, musicandsky.com musicandsky.com forward slash Marty. That's the affiliate link, but you can buy uh, tickets there. Amanda Vollmer is joining us. That's right. ADV is now joining the Gathering, so she's going to be doing a, a, a speech there. Really looking forward to meeting her and all the other good over there. So that's going to be cool. And one more thing, Flattoberfest flattoberfest.com, flatearthfestivals.com, October 21st and 22nd. Be there or be a squared circle. And, of course, the church store. So, okay, that is going to do it for me. Thank you to all the people that do have uh, supported and bought books and and donated and all this other stuff. Corby Olson. Oh, I think I already said that, so I just want to make sure I'm not missing any. Okay, I think we're good. Okay, that's going to do it next week. Yes, um, next week we're going to be, uh, I was supposed to speak with Stephen Carpenter of the Deftones, but that ended up getting pushed because he's in the studio and we were traveling and so that sort of thing, but that is happening at some point, I'm not sure when. And then I'm also going to be hopefully speaking to Raging Dissident, I gotta give him a call again and so there's there's some more interviews coming up, and I'm sure I'll get like Chance Brew the Pious on, and all you know you know that 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 sort of thing. So that is in the works. So okay, I think that's gonna do it. We're gonna listen to a song that I wrote called Mr. Vertigo, just for shits and giggles. So all right, that's gonna do it, guys. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May His grace be with you all. Amen. Like I said, Tuesdays with Marty. We also did stop at um, Cahokia Mounds. And so uh, I'm going to I'm gonna just show a few pictures of our trip um, down to St. Louis here and the Basilica and all that sort of stuff. And so that should be fun. So I'll see you on Tuesday. Uh, hope you're there. All right. That's going to do it, guys. Um, let's rock out. Thank you for being here today. And I really hope you enjoyed it. And please pass these videos around if you can um, on your social media and all that sort of stuff. And give us a thumbs up. Okay. That's going to do it. I'll get out of your hair now. As always, many blessings and much love to all.